Welcome back, Basketball Nation. Andrew Covian here from Hofstra University, bringing you episode 39 of Coaches and Coffee. Today's guest has been a rising star in the business, and I'm so thrilled to talk about his unique coaching journey. I've gotten to know him for some time now, and I've been super excited to watch him climb the ranks in college basketball. At this time, I proudly introduce Coach Brandon Chambers, assistant men's basketball coach at Texas Southern University. Coach, how are we doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm trying to stay healthy, stay safe. Obviously, we're in uh, some unprecedented and uncharted times, but uh, just doing what I can to play my part. And you've been awesome with me this whole time, and I've learned so much from you. I got a chance to listen to you talk on that coach's clinic. Anyone who has not checked it out yet, please give it a listen. There's so many good gems in there just about how to act like a professional, how to grind, and how to uh, climb your way up. And coach, it's like I said before, it's been awesome to see uh, you progress in this business. I appreciate that. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a great journey. It's been, um, you know, I've been doing it for 10 years now. I'm going on my 11th season and I'm just very fortunate and humbled by the people that I've been able to meet and the, the relationships that I've been able to make. And more importantly, the, the players that I've been able to coach and, uh, guys like you that years later, I can remember we met at the final four and, and, and kind of, in a weird way, I would say coaching tree-wise, we're probably like cousins because I worked for Trevor Woodruff and Trevor Woodruff, uh, your your mentor, uh, Coach Mastriani, he worked for Trevor. So in some form or fashion, we're on the same coaching tree and, and we're related. But um, I guess my point is it's, it's, it's a very cool and unique uh, industry that we're in that you know, years later, just never know how things are going to grow and develop and, and what you'll learn from people and uh, just where life will take you. And I think that's been really the most impactful thing for me. And you bring up a good point. We met at just the start of our coaching careers. And the reason why I'm so interested and love to get your story and stare it out, share it out to the audience is that you've worked at every level. So just take me back to where you started off in this business and, you know, your climb through everything because you've worked at the high school division three and the high major. So I'm just thrilled to let the audience know your story. Yeah. So I started as a student manager at VCU and I kind of fell into it. Um, I was friends with a couple guys, Joey Rodriguez and Eric Maynard, and just through kind of conversation, there was a, you know, just a random uh, day where I was talking to him and, and uh, Eric asked me, he's like, hey, why don't you think about being a manager uh, for us? And, and we're always looking for extra help. And at that time, the program, uh, the head coach was Anthony Grant and they had had success. Jeff, Jeff Capel was there before. Uh, Anthony Grant, obviously, and then Shaka Smart, but um, you know, I kind of thought about it. I, I honestly didn't know what a student manager, what that entailed, and I kind of, like I said, I fell into it. I always tell people I'm the luckiest guy in the world, so you know, I, I just was sitting there one night and studying for a macroeconomics test at three in the morning, and just kind of had this epiphany, this life moment, and just realized I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I just my my interest in school after two years just wasn't uh, you know what the, what I was studying was I wasn't interested in and I just kind of was dreading the the thought of my future if I would have stayed in that career path and uh, so I just blindly and you know this is kind of you know a naiveness of, of me I just sent an email to coach Grant and said hey uh, 
talked to my friends with Eric Maynard and Joey Rodriguez. I'm very good friends with the graduate assistants. Would love to help out as a student manager. Uh, what do you think? And, you know, and, and I guess that's part of getting really lucky is not really knowing what you're doing. Well, he emailed me back at seven in the morning and said, that's great. We would love to have you. Please come by the office. I'll have you meet with uh, one of our graduate assistants. He'll kind of walk you through everything. And I guess you can say the rest is history. Uh, two weeks, three weeks later, uh, Coach Grant actually left for Alabama and uh, Shaka Smart was hired. And, you know, from there, it just kind of took off. Uh, it wasn't until after my first year at uh, VCU that I realized I wanted to coach. And we had just won the CBI National Championship. It was that summer. I talked to Coach Smart and just said, hey, I, you know, what are the things I need to do to coach? And like many of us, we get advice from different people and you kind of take it and advice is what it is. You know, you process it. And if it's applicable to your life, you know, you, you apply it. And uh, the way that I was, I was kind of obsessive compulsive with advice. And so if, if someone said, hey, this will help you get to that next step, I then took that and probably did it overkill. Um, so he said, hey, you need to work every camp. Uh, you need to get involved with these people. We're talking about Hoop Group and Five Star. And um, he said, you need to do your absolute best job to network and meet people, uh, build solid relationships. I think one of the things that Coach Smart is a lead at is, is relationship building and uh, really pouring into his relationships. Um, and so I kind of took it and ran with it. And that, again, I, I, I hit the lottery. I mean, I. I couldn't have, uh, I don't believe in luck, but um, I couldn't have planned out my success uh, at an early age. Number one, Shaka Smart getting hired, who I think is one of the best coaches in the country. And then that, that year going to the final four um, with VCU being the, the first four in and, and then going to the final four and losing to Butler. Um, it just, you can't plan that kind of stuff. So I, I ended up graduating from there. Uh, coach Rhodes, Mike Rhodes, who's now the head coach at BCU, uh, made a phone call for me and, uh, you know, back where he's from in the coal region, uh, northeast Pencil Pennsylvania, uh, to a, a guy named Trevor Woodruff. Uh, and, and that's kind of, I, I jumped into a different, a different realm. Um, coach D3 for, for two years at Misericordia University for Trevor Woodruff. Uh, did two more years at Marymount University for a guy named Chris Rogers. Uh, did one year with Glenn Ferrello uh, at Paul VI High School, and then did three years with Eric Musselman at Nevada uh, in different capacities, video coordinator, director of basketball operations. And the one thing that I'll say, again, going back to the point I made, is I've just been very fortunate. There's never been a compass or a roadmap as to this is how I want to get to where I want to get to. It's just been meeting a lot of really, really good people uh, people that I consider elite and high-level thinkers and high-level uh, leaders and just really trusting what they're saying, you know, and, and every step of the, the process has been a step. And I think uh, I think the, the word grind is overused in our industry, uh, but it's been a grind and you have to cut your teeth. And I've been really fortunate. I know we off air, we were just talking about the relationships that uh, you know, you make and, and, and how, you know, this, this business can be so fleeting and fickle. And um, I think for me, I've been really blessed and fortunate to always go back to the relationships that I have and the guys that I've been able to work for. Um, and, and it's never more so true than being at Texas Southern and being with a guy like Johnny Jones, who 
one of the best human beings. He's an unbelievable coach, but I think he's an even better human being. Um, and, and the mentorship and the leadership he's shown and given me has been, I can't, I'll never be able to repay him. It's been tenfold. Um, and so it's, it's kind of, it's been a journey. Uh, if you would have told me 10 years ago, I would have uh, coached five years of AAU. I would have been a Division three assistant, uh, coached at McDonald's All-American, uh, been to a, a Sweet 16, a, f a Final Four. I just, I would have thought you were crazy. Um, and, you know, now I'm sitting here in Houston, Texas. So, uh, but I, it's all part of the process. And I'm not naive enough to think that, shoot, 10 more years, who knows where I'll be. And the beauty of this coach is like this game honors at some point or another hard work and being a genuine person. And I'm looking at, you know, your route, you got to Texas Southern and there's a lot, a lot of years of hard work that a lot of people don't understand. And we've spoke about the value of coaching at the division three level and being a graduate assistant and coaching at the high school level. But I think you made up some great points off the air about it. Do you mind just uh, diving into that again for our listeners? Yeah, it's, it, and I'm, again, I'm really fortunate the people that I've met and the relationships that I've built. The one thing I would say, if I can give any piece of advice to anybody is when you're cutting your teeth, when you're grinding, um, as I talked about earlier, the relationships that you make are so valuable and they may not, I think it's, it's human nature to always be trying to network and, and meet new people and try to find the next guy that can help you get a job. Instead, I, I would say, look in, inward to your network and instead of thinking wider, think deeper. And the relationships that you that you have, um, and of course you're always gonna meet new people just by simulation, you know, just by being at different events or uh, you know, people in your conference or evaluators, whatever it might be. Um, but I've, what I've realized is that I've been able to surround myself with very, very good people, develop deeper relationships with them. And in turn, those relationships may not have helped me at that time, but down the road, they've bared their fruit. And I, you know, I can't stress that enough. I think it's human nature at times that we get so caught up in the next step and our future but we lose present, uh, you know, or we lose the focus of the present. And um, I, I think, again, we're, as humans, I'm, I'm victim of it as well, you know, and you, you go to the Final Four and you get the chance to catch up with all your friends and, and people that you don't get an opportunity to talk to throughout the year just because of schedules or, you know, you being busy or whatever it might be, time zones, and you, you catch up. But part of the deal, too, is you always get the, the questions and and who's going to get this job and, and uh, what jobs are you looking at? Or, and, you know, it, it was a, a very drastic turn for me uh, about one year in going to the final quarters or just, you know, kind of my mentality. Anytime I talked to somebody was just do the best job with where you're at, be where your feet are. Again, really cut your teeth and, and learn the game. And they're going to pay it forward. It'll eventually bear fruit. Um, and again, I think we live in a, a society, it's a microwave society where, you know, we tell our players all the time, and I think we're hypocrites in this manner, that, you know, you want all this success, well, you got to see your, you know, you, you got you to gotta be on the floor, you got to be working on your craft. It's got to be a daily pound the rock mentality. And I think as coaches, we're also like that as well. And we don't uh, drink our own Kool-Aid in that sense, where we... We just think, well, this is going to happen overnight. 
And um, it, it's been a process for me. Again, the relationships that I've had, the things that I've been able to accomplish or the, the things that my, my network has been able to help me with have been years and years and years of me pouring into them, me trying to provide value for them, gaining a deeper understanding of who they are as people, uh, trying to get to know them on a deeper level. And years later, I find myself constantly getting phone calls or emails or if I need something from some area or region or, uh, you know, Northeast or D.C. or whatever it might be, I have a friend that I can call. And most of the time, I'd say they're willing to help just because those years and years and years of me not needing, you know, or me not asking for, for anything. It's been just me trying to give, give, give and develop those those relationships. And being at the Division three level and the high school level, especially Division three, you're recruiting a kid to willingly go to your university and pay and play basketball just for the love of the game and for that camaraderie and to be surrounded by good people and good coaches like yourself. And that's a heck of a task to do, you know, and you mentioned too, like your recruiting base could be start off with 300 kids and you got to keep track of everyone, build relationships, make sure that you're on top of who had a good game and keep it in touch with their high school coaches. Even if you don't get that particular kid, you're looking for the next division three star down the road, or even as your career progresses, if they have a high level player, wherever the university you're at. Yeah, it's, it's a different way of doing it. And I, I, I tell people all the time that if I'm ever fortunate enough of, of becoming a head coach, one of the things I, I'll do as soon as I get the job is hire a division three guy or, or a Juco guy, because you have to wear so many hats and uh, especially in recruiting, you know, we started our list every fall, you know, basically every summer going into the fall with 250 to 300 kids and you're selling a product and, and you're selling, like you said, relationships, but it, it, the educational piece, it matters. And kids, they're not given athletic scholarships. You, you know, you, you basically base everything off academic scholarships or any need base that they can get. And, uh, I'll tell you this, it's a funny story. So I, I had just gotten the job at Misericordia, and I think probably uh, similar to you, you know, you try to stay highly organized, and, and, you know, as a young guy, you're a little naive. You uh, little, you know, maybe uh, think you're a little bit of a hot shot. And for me, I was absolutely all of that and more. Uh, and uh, I just wasn't, I wasn't able to get kids on campus, and I wasn't able to, um I, I just couldn't land a kid. And I remember I reached out and again, I think he's elite at this. I remember I reached out to coach smart and just said, coach, I'm really struggling. I, I, I've been here two or three months. I can't get a kid on campus. I can't, I just don't understand it. And he said to me, and it was the most powerful thing I think that I've ever heard in regards to uh, my profession or recruiting. And he said, don't worry about getting the kid. Just worry about building a relationship. And from that point on, everything changed for me and uh, you know and again like the cliche the rest is history all i focused on the remainder and up until this point is relationships everything is about relationships and i've been fortunate that relationships and they may not pay off especially in the division one world uh with a kid right out right out of the gate but two three years down the line you just never know you know the transfer market is what it is and, and obviously there's some uh legislation that is being voted on to see if, if, if 
the one year year in residence rule will change, but it's you just never know. And I never built, I never burnt any bridges. All I tried to do was just build relationships. And if I didn't get a kid, it's all good. If I didn't get a kid, it's all good. And I just kept, just kept recruiting, kept recruiting, kept recruiting. And uh, you know, it, it, it's paid, it's paid dividends for me. You mentioned the the Division three world. I mean, it's, I think it's even more drastic if you're a JUCO coach. Um, or even in, in, in some high schools, where as in JUCO, you essentially have to replace your team every one or two years because you have a kid for a year. If he's a qualifier, he can leave. Or if it's two years, you know, he gets his associates and he's gone. And uh, I think those guys, they really have the, the tough jobs because they have to go out and, and recruit this list and then replace their team every year. Whereas in Division Three, you can build a program and kind of have a little bit of a buffer where there may be a down year and you may not get the, the, the kid that will really make an impact uh, that year. Uh, you might get just some, you know, a, a solid core uh, recruiting class, you know, at JUCO level or, or even some other levels. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's a lot harder. And the amount of teaching that goes on in that as well, because you're, it's kind of like Groundhog's Day. You get a new group of guys in and you got to reteach everything. You really have to be savvy in the way you articulate and present, you know, your, your team culture and your concepts on a daily basis. Yeah, those guys, I, I always say the best coaches I've ever seen have been at the small college level. And I really believe that. Um, and, and again, too, I'm not privy enough to be around a lot of the, the big time coaches, but uh, some of the best coaching, some of the best player development, because like you said, they have to be the best teachers. And those guys really do it for the love of the game. Uh, I think I, I can't give them enough credit. They, they deserve uh, medals of honor for, for what they have to do, because just like us as assistant coaches, uh, the head coaches at that level, they also have to wear many hats. You know, a lot of times those head coaches are not just the head basketball coach at that university. They're the head basketball coach. They're the uh, operations in the athletic department. Um, you know, so as well in that regard, you know, the, the teaching aspect and then also the time commitment that you have to add to, to that level is just so different. It's so different. And, um, you know, I, again, I'm fortunate that I had to do that and I went through that process and I had to, you know, get thrown in the fire uh, I think it served me very, very well as I continue throughout my career. And now, Coach, after all those years of hard work, you get presented with an opportunity to pick up, move probably out of your comfort zone, and head over to uh, Nevada. Do you want to talk about what was going through your mind? You were changing roles. You were going into a support staff role and really just going out and betting on yourself. Yeah, so what happened was I was coaching Division Three, and like we talked about, you wear many hats, and we were in a playoff game, and my phone was, was going off. It just was nonstop, and I finally uh, – it goes into overtime, and I finally look at it. It's in my suit pocket, and I always kept it there at the Division Three level or, or small college coach, you, you, uh, any of your audience, and probably you. You probably have, have had to deal with this. You, in, mo now I don't keep my phone on me uh, for – uh, just for reference, but uh, back then I had to because uh, it was the Domino's pizza guy uh, <laughs> basically telling me that if I didn't uh, come sign for the pizzas, that he was going to leave them outside. And uh, 
So at that point, I just realized I was like, man, I, I got to figure this thing out. This is, this is, uh, this has been a grind. And um, so I, I ended up uh, developing a relationship with Glenn Ferrello, who is, if if people don't know him, I I'd recommend reaching out to him. He is one of the best human beings you'll ever meet. He'll sit there and talk to you on the phone for two hours about you. And this is a coach that has had a world of success. Uh, his winning percentage, I joke with him, uh, we lost 14, we were 20 and 14 my year. And uh, I've severely impacted his, his winning per- percentage because he's won well over 70% of his games. Um, so it's, it's, I joke, but he wants to know about you. He's coached McDonald's All-Americans. Uh, my year, I coached with him. We had 11 Division One players. Uh, he took a program in Paul the Six, which had moderate success, and he and he put it on the national scale. And uh, you know, I, I I developed a relationship with him, and the conversations that we would have were bigger than basketball. They were more about life, and uh, he would ask me personal questions, and um, I just felt in line with him. And I thought, if I go to this program, I know I have a guy, and not that the the prior programs were not. It's just when you're in the Division Three world, you're kind of isolated to that level. It's it's a different world. And with Ferrello, it was going to be exposure to Division One coaches. Um, it was going to be, you know, we had 11 Division One players, so guys were going to be in and out of the gym. I was coaching AAU at the time as well. And uh, so I, I ended up joining his staff. Well, in that year, what happened was I didn't have the responsibility of recruiting like I did as a division three coach, you know, in, in division three, division two, JUCO, whatever it might be, you can basically recruit every day of the year if you wanted to. There's no restrictions like there is in, in division one. And so I was the kind of guy that I was working full time in admissions. I'd get up every day at five. I'd go to the office. I'd work seven to three. Um, and I worked right outside of Washington, D.C. So the traffic was atrocious. And you had to get up that early just to make it in by seven. <laughs> I'd go to practice three to five, I go to recruit and you're talking, uh, New York city, uh, which is five hours away, Philly, three and a half hours away, both. I mean, you name it, I drove there. Um, and, uh, then I'd get back at two, three, four in the morning and I would have to do it all over again. And, um, you know, weekends I'm going out to different events and it just, it, it was really, it was really tough. The time management aspect of everything and just health wise, it was also tough. And, when I went to Coach Ferrello and Paula Six, I didn't have that responsibility anymore. So it gave me a lot of free time to develop, develop my network, develop uh, personally, uh, focus on things that really impacted my career. And it kind of happened by chance, but I started a website called Coaching Clipboard. Just started post, I'm a big reader, and uh, I, I just started posting articles of things that I liked or videos and I would get feedback and people would say, man, this is great stuff. Uh, can you keep posting um, or can you share that article? And so I, I kind of just saw the value in that. I said, okay, well, shoot, uh, maybe I should just start a website and just start posting stuff to it and people come to it. And um, so I started doing that and I started uh, developing a, a good base of people uh, that would, that would view it and read the articles or whatever it might be. And, so I, I realized, okay, well, there's every uh, email address for staffs on their athletic directory. Why don't I just take their emails and start a weekly email? You know, every Sunday I'll send out an email and just call it the thoughts of the week. And uh, so I, I started doing that. I put a quote, a play, article, whatever it might be, and I did it every Sunday. 
And, uh, you know, it's funny, a lot of the people that I know in basketball are through that email that I did for, I think, a year and a half. And uh, it was actually really cool because people that I basically connected with virtually would start uh, responding and we would start communicating regularly. And Eric Musselman happened to be one of those guys. So about halfway through the year, again, this is to the naiveness of me and, and um, how much I didn't know. I emailed Coach Musselman and just said, hey, Coach, if there's ever an opportunity to work for you, whether it's a paid or not paid position, I'd love to take you up on it. And he just said, hey, we may have some, some turnover. You know, we'll keep your information on file. Well, sure enough, a couple months later, uh, it was probably February or March, I get a phone call and they have a volunteer video coordinator position. And they said, hey, look, if you want the position, it's yours. It doesn't pay anything, but, you know, here's what it is. Here's what we need. Can you do these things? And uh, I took it. I, I had never been to the state of Nevada. I couldn't even tell you. Everyone thinks Reno is right next to Vegas. It's actually a seven-and-a-half-hour drive. I thought <laughs> Reno was next to Vegas, too. Um, there, There's only two metro, metropolitan cities in Nevada, and those are the two. Outside of that, it's basically all desert. And... Uh, and they're basically different sides of the state. And I, I mean, I, again, I was so I lived under my rock and I had no idea that Reno was uh, on the northwest side of the state. So I said, yeah, sure, absolutely. I, you know, count me in. And, you know, and, and at that point in my career, too, I knew I had to take a chance. I knew I had to take a leap of faith. And so uh, at the final four, solidified everything. Uh, and the best thing that happened was. When I brought it up to Coach Ferrello, I said, hey, Coach, you know, I have this opportunity. It's, you know, at the University of Nevada. What do you think? And he said, you're taking the job. <laughs> and I was kind of taken back, and I was like, he said, no, you're taking the job. And he said, and if it doesn't work out, you'll always have a job here. And I just thought that was so powerful because he gave me that cushion that I, I you know, that, that I needed, um, especially at that time. I had just gotten engaged. I, uh, my family's all from the D.C. area. I uh, just, it was a really, really tough decision. And he just, he gave me that confidence I needed to take that leap of faith and know that regardless of whatever happens, you know, go out there, do what you have to do and it'll all work out. And if it doesn't, I got your back. And uh, so final four hits, uh, I think I got back that Monday and on Wednesday I was in a car driving across the country. Um, so I got there and basically called every single person in my phone book in that uh, 40 hour drive. And uh, everyone said, do whatever you have to do to be irreplaceable, you know, pr provide value in every single aspect. And again, I say I'm the most fortunate guy. I hit the jackpot with the guys that I've worked for, you know, getting hired by coach smart as a student manager to go into the final four to Trevor Woodruff, Chris Rogers, Glenn Farello. But working for a guy like Eric Musselman, who had been an NBA coach with two different organizations, and then just how he is as a day-to-day -day person. Uh, the daily uh, personal development he does for himself. He reads every day for an hour, uh, and he has this own kind of uh, book. We call it the Nevada Way. I'm sure they've, they've cha since changed it, but uh, of you're talking – 900 pages of just leadership. He reads something, he puts it in the book. Uh, he sees something he likes, he puts it in the book. And it's something he can always go back through and reflect on throughout the season, throughout his career, and just pull nuggets from. 
and uh, I just loved it. And that's kind of who I am as an individual, always trying to get better. How he operates his staff, he operates it like an NBA staff where everyone's involved in the conversation, whether it's recruiting, uh, player development, off-season scheduling, whatever it might be, you're involved in that conversation from the GAs to the associate head coach. And for me, as a volunteer video coordinator, to learn the landscape of college basketball like I did at that point in my career was so vital. I got to know everything. I mean, you name it. I got to, I was involved in those conversations. And obviously when you're first learning things, you're, you're trying to, you're, you're doing more listening than speaking. Um, he would actually ask for advice. So I kind of learned very quickly that uh, I had to have something ready and uh, it just, it was a constant development my first year. And then that second year, he eventually promoted me to director of basketball operations and I was with him for two years and it was great. It was a, it was a tough deal going from coaching and player development and being on the floor with guys and, you know, building that sweat equity to taking a, uh, you know, a backseat role. But I mean, I wouldn't trade it for the world, the things that I learned and obviously getting a, an opportunity to work with a guy and, and for a guy like coach Musselman and then all the, the, the other assistant coaches and, and support staff and graduate assistants that we had there, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And something I take from this story that you talk about, Coach Musses, he instilled, I would think, confidence in his whole staff from the bottom up because he did involve you guys. And I know at the time you were a volunteer, but you work a lot harder if you feel like you're heavily involved in the program and the head coach is actually listening to you. So I think from a leadership standpoint, that's awesome that he allowed you guys to have that type of involvement. Yeah, I think there's a deeper meaning here, but, and I think it's genius in a lot of ways with coach Moss, but I think all of us, regardless of our, our walk of life or whatever, uh, you know, compartmentalization of life you want to put it in, whether it's your personal life, professional life, or you can go specific to job to job, you always want to find meaning and you always want to feel like you're involved and that you're important. And coach Musselman did a great job with everybody on his staff in that, in that concept. And I just felt, you know, it was, it was great. I, I always felt like I was an important piece of the reason why we went to the sweet 16. I was an important piece why we went 28 and seven, uh, my first year with guys like Cam Oliver, who's playing overseas or Marcus Marshall, who's playing overseas or DJ Fenner. Um, I, I just, you know, I was very proud of that. And I felt like every day, um, I had involvement and there was meaning to my involvement. The other thing too is, and this is, uh, uh, I guess a deeper meaning too, is, is when your leader is the hardest worker in the room, I, I, I just feel like the only thing you can do is try to match or exceed his expectations or his work ethic. And I thought he was, again, he's voracious as a reader, as, as far as personal development goes, coaching development, and I saw that basically in a front row seat. And uh, it was an everyday thing. When I say everyday, you're talking 365 days a year. And, you know, I'm a guy that I think I work hard. And then I'm in that environment. I'm like, shoot, man, this guy, he's a beast. And to have that front row seat and to really learn and develop in those years, I mean, it just, again, you had a high sense of involvement. And then your leader was also the hardest guy, hardest working guy in the room that it just, 
it, you loved it. And every day was something new. Every day was unique. But you were ready every single day to bring it. Your energy was high. Your enthusiasm was high. And you were just ready to get to work. And clearly, you were able to match that energy and work ethic because now look at you. You're over at Texas Southern University and Coach Jones thought you did an awesome job and he brought you along over there with him. You want to talk about your relationship with Coach Jones. I know you said that he's had a major influence on you and just your experience so far at Texas Southern. Yeah, so basically anytime that I've been around anybody that I really revere or I respect, um, I would say the one thing I've, I've always held true to, and this was a kind of a changing of my philosophy as a, as a human being when I was about 21 years old, is I always told them to be real with me, be raw. And it, it was more of a, if I'm ever out of line, check me. Or if, I, if you ever feel like there's a development piece in my day-to-day work or career work, check me. Or uh, please, if, you know, if, if um, I can ever get better in a category that, that could help me, please don't ever hesitate to, to ask me or, or tell me. Um, and then they've always been great sounding boards for me. And so every single person that I've, I've worked for, I feel like I've tried to have that relationship be a two-way street like that and really learn from them and, and for them to be mentors for me. I think that's very important in life is to have people that you can consider mentors. And uh, like one of my favorite quotes is, by Isaac Newton, and it's it's just that it's a metaphor for uh, standing on the shoulder of giants. And for me, I would say Coach Jones is a giant for me. Um, and and he's a number. There's a number of guys that at Nevada uh, that were unbelievable to me. Dave Rice, Gus Arginal, Brandon Dunson, Ron Dupree, Yanni Huffnagel, uh, all those guys. Anthony Ruda. I, I can't. I can't. Uh, commend them enough for what they've done for me in my career and my development. But specifically, a guy like Johnny Jones, he just was my guy. Everything I needed, uh, if I had a question about life, he's just, he's that older, wise guy that, that, that you know has years and years and years of knowledge built up that you could listen to him for hours talk and about anything. I mean, literally anything in life he provides clarity to. Um, so he, he just kind of was that guy for me. When Whenever I needed something, I'd go to him. Uh, whenever he saw there was a, a growth or learning development in my career or me as a person, he would make sure to address it. And um, We developed a really strong relationship, and uh, he eventually got hired as the head coach after that, that season uh, at Texas Southern. He actually wanted to bring me with him, but uh, – there were some forces at, at, at B that, that uh, just wouldn't allow it. And um, after Coach Musselman got hired at Arkansas, I actually did not plan on this job uh, being open. I had no idea this job was even open. I actually called him for advice, ironically, and just asked him, like, hey, Coach, I had this opportunity at this other school, and you know, I have some other opportunities. What do you think? And he kind of just stopped me and he said, hey, well, before you – you know, take that job. What do you think about being an assistant here at Texas Southern? And I just, I mean, I just said, yes, I said yes on the spot. I wasn't going to let him take back what he said, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and I, you know, next thing I know, I'm, I'm on a plane to Houston, Texas, and I fell in love with the campus. And obviously 
a chance to work for a mentor and someone that you revere as much as you do. It was kind of a non-negotiable for me uh, in the assistant coaching role. I just, I couldn't turn it down and, and it's been an unbelievable experience here. It's amazing. And you guys are doing great things down in Texas and I'm so excited. I, uh, from a distance, I'm a fan unless we uh, end up playing each other at some point in our careers. But I think it's awesome how much you value your relationship with him and the fact that he took care of you as well. You're one of his guys as well. So I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing to have in this business. Oh, it's unbelievable. And, and in the regards of us playing each other, this year was probably the hardest year that I've ever had as a coach. So I take the job here and we, we signed a contract to play Texas A&M. That's where my brother's at. So obviously playing your own blood is a, is a, is a difficult experience and, and it's my scout. Hmm. Uh, we signed a contract. Actually, I signed the contract before I left for here, not knowing this job was even open. I signed a contract when I was at Nevada to play Texas Southern. Uh, so I then take the job and I'm, I'm like thinking like, man, now I got to go back to Nevada, a place that I absolutely love. And I call home and I have to go play these guys, <laughs> guys that we also had eight guys in the transfer portal and we were able to get seven of them back. Um, and then uh, we also were in, a, in an MTE with Arkansas. Wow. So then we also went and played Coach Musselman. So it was it was a whirlwind. Unfortunately, I think the longer that you're in this business, the more friends that you have and, and friends on other staffs, and you and you hate uh, the, the thought of having to play against them because you know how fleeting our business is and how much we're judged on wins and, wins and losses. And uh, so, but if we ever play each other, I hope, in the history of basketball, I don't know how many ties there are. <laughs> uh, if we can tie the game, I hope that happens. If not, you know, it's it was brutal this year playing uh, my mentors and, and my family. But um, I hope we win. But I hope uh, we can tie. I'll sign off on that. Time. I could I could sign off on a tie. I'm good with a tie. <laughs> yeah. Now, Coach, we're going to move on to our final section. I'm so excited to hear your insight on some of these. And uh, if it's cool with you, we're going to get going. Cool. Yeah, let's do it. What's something you do consistently that some people may not know about yourself? Oh, man. Um, well, I'm an avid reader. Uh, I read everything from articles to uh, self-help books. I stay away from fiction. I read a lot of autobiographies, but I think just, you know, if, if you know me, people know that, um, I was, uh, you know, I'm a big person in, in just mind mindfulness and development of your brain. And, um, so I, I do try to stay as active and, and engaged in things outside of basketball that kind of stimulate your brain and the learning process, uh, I play a lot of chess uh, in my free time, whether it's a, you know, a, a blitz game, which is a minute long or uh, five minutes long, um, or at night, you know, I might just sit there and kind of mess around on my phone. Um, uh, I play a lot of Sudoku. I, I do crossword puzzles. I, I just try to keep something always, my brain always moving. Um, it's partly probably ADHD, but it's also just, I, I, I'm just a firm believer. You need to constantly be, growing and developing and uh, just trying to stay sharp. Uh, so I guess that's probably 
probably a hobby. I, I don't know if it's necessarily a hobby, but it's something that I do uh, frequently. I, I would say that most coaches, because of the time commitment, you don't have very many hobbies outside of family and, and basketball. So unfortunately, I'm, I'm probably in the same boat. That's the truth. Well, now this is something I'm super excited about. I knew you were proud of this, a huge reader. I'm not on your level, but I'm trying to get there. And if you had to pinpoint maybe one or two books that have had the most impact on your life, what would they be? So I was prepared for this because I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller, and I've listened to the podcast before. And this question always comes up, and I don't know how people answer it because for me, there's so many books that have provided clarity in my life or knowledge that I, it's like, I don't have children, but I can imagine it's like picking your favorite child. Um, so I have four or five that if they help you, they help you. If they don't, um, so be it. But, um, I think they're some of the best books ever written or some of the philosophies or concepts in them or are very impactful for me. Again, it's like advice. Advice is uh, great because you can save it for a rainy day or you can use it if it's applicable for your life. Um, so uh, I would say uh, A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And what that book is, is he's an Austrian neurologist and he was caught up in the Holocaust. And what he did was while he was in the Holocaust and in these camps, he kept a journal of his events, the things that happened. And uh, there's a great deal of perspective in it. Um, basically, and I think we're all victims of this, he related it to how every day in the human mind, even now, is like a concentration camp. Um, and I, I just thought that was so powerful. Uh, you know, he was caught up in this, obviously, this war and, um, you know, because of who he was is, you know, his background, you know, he was in a, in a concentration camp and couldn't leave. And there was obviously people dying around him and all these terrible things, but he was able to keep perspective and then also apply it to uh, the modern day and, and how people, the, the main concept in it is the meaning of life. And uh, he calls it logotherapy. It's basically every person searches for the meaning of life. And that's the most, most important thing in, uh, that's the primary motivational force uh, for their life is to find that meaning. Um, so that's a great one. I thought that was unbelievable. Uh, the Alchemist, that's a book that I actually just picked up. It's been popularized by some NBA players have taken it. it uh, you know, LeBron James has been seen, seen reading it. I think Damian Lillard as well. Um, and it's basically a, a tale of, of a boy that, uh, it's, it's goes into all of the things in life that help you achieve what you want to achieve um, and how you pursue your dreams. Um, and it, it kind of goes, it's, it's one of those fictional type deals where uh, it, it just kind of goes through this, this uh, storyline that this, uh, this boy, you know, becomes who he wants to become. And again, there's value in that for me. I think we're all, in our journey and in our process of life. Uh, Good to Great is another one by Jim Collins. That's a, that's a big one that I think a lot of people have 
have read. It's essentially a, a book that defines greatness in organizations, companies, and um, how do you go from good to great and the characteristics. He had seven characteristics in the book. Uh, I don't don't remember them off the top of my head. The, the ones that hit me the most, just kind of retroactively thinking about it, uh, were the level five leaders uh, being humble, but also driven to reaching the organizational goal, um, the Stockdale parad paradox, uh, and not losing faith uh, based on events that happen, uh, whether good or bad, particularly bad. Um, and and I just again I think we're all we're all searching for the magic sauce of why the Patriots are the Patriots or why the Warriors are the Warriors and how they've won these championships and and how how they have these dynasties and. I think this is a book that, regardless of the year, it's timeless. And the more that you, you know, I'll go back and take nuggets from this book, and it's easy. You can you can apply it to those kind of organizations like the Patriots, like the Warriors. And, uh, again, I think we're all trying to achieve that kind of uh, success in our uh, organization or, or group. And then the last one is uh, Meditations, and it's, it was written – it was kind of rewritten. It's uh, stoic philosophy, so you have to like really find a, a person that uh, converts it and, and uh, puts it in a way because it can be very dry. It was written by Marcus Aurelius, and basically, when he became uh, the Roman emperor, he became the emperor during a time of uh, uncertainty. There was a lot of war. There was uh, different issues that he was dealing with. And uh, I believe it was one of, I could be wrong, 11 books he wrote. Um, and again, the, the uh, concepts are great, but the literature in it can be very dry. Uh, they, they have people that have written revisions of the book or taken the concepts and, and tried to replicate it. Uh, but essentially what it is is just blocking out the noise and maintaining yourself and maintaining your principles, finding your core character uh, and then controlling those outside noises, your inner emotions, and, and, and again, searching for the meaning of life, like what what is important. Um, and so, you know, there there's a handful of other ones. I mean, shoot, I could, I have actually a comprehensive list. I took this idea from Mike Neighbors at Arkansas. He's the head women's coach. I was listening to a podcast, and he's a big list guy. I think we, I think we all are by nature. It's just an easier concept uh, easier way of understanding or reading things, but uh, he says he, you know, he, he would always be saying, oh, that's the best movie of all time, or oh, that's the best book of all time. Um, and so we create these lists, and I took that concept. So I have a comprehensive list of 200 and, I don't even know, 30 to 40 books that I've read, um, and I just continue to add books to that list. Uh, and whoever, if you ever want it, or if any of your audience ever wants it, feel free to reach out to me. But um, again, it's it's all based on, you know, whether you think Good to Great is one of the best books you've ever read or you know, don't take it personally. It's just, again, I think a, a good book is is great because it can you can find different concepts from it at different points in your life. And I think, I'm sure you've done this as well. You've probably gone back and reread books um, as well. Oh, absolutely. That And you know what? You know, if you're a big reader, the joy of it too is like, 
applying it to your own life, making your own little notes. I'm a big writer within books. I, uh, I don't like audio books because again, I like to physically hold the book, make my own notes. I'll even dog tag it. It looks like my books after I've read them have been through the mill and back, but it's just my way of just, you know, working through it and making my own little anecdotes and whatnot. And I think it's a fun way, you know, everyone has their own style. Some people may write it in a notebook, but I think that's all part of the process of enjoying the book and really applying it to your life. Yeah, I actually, when I first started reading, and I think it grows on you, it's like, you know, I just started running a lot, and I, I hate running, uh, but I've started to run more, and I think it's a, it grows on you. It's, it's very similar to reading. Well, I started sending my books to people, and my brother said, I, I actually sent him a book and he, uh, he said, I can't read this. There's too many notes. It's highlight. I can't, it's, it's like <laughs> uh, gibberish on the side of the page. And so I realized there's probably no value there. And so something I've started doing is buying books for other people. I, I'll finish a book and then I'll order it on Amazon for somebody. If I think it's a great book, uh, rather than sending them my copy, because similar to you, it just, it looks like it went through a washing machine. <laughs> and it, and it's interesting too, because sometimes like I'll read, like if I can't fall asleep and it's two in the morning and I'm like, you know, nodding off maybe at some point throughout the process and I'll write something. I'll be like, I can't even, this isn't even readable. Like for my own, my own being, what the hell was I thinking during that time of the night? <laughs> oh, it's, it's the best when you go back and something you highlighted again, I think we're all victims of this, but something you highlighted, you go back and reading, like, why did I highlight that? Like, <laughs> what was I thinking, you know, when I, when I, what mind uh, set was I in when I took notes on that, you know? Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a great process. And, you know, I, and for myself, I like to highlight and take notes. And then I also go back and I type up a, almost like a book review, uh, just pulling some of the main concepts out of the book. And it's something I put into a PDF. I send to coaches, uh, you know, and, and I, again, any of these books, I have no problem uh, sending you some of my notes. Uh, but it's just, it's been a great way for me because I think sometimes you read a uh, book, but you don't retain the information as well. And yeah. there's things that I think we're all victim of is, is you sit there and you're like, dang it, how did I forget that came from that book? Or what was that quote that so-and-so said in that, that chapter? And then you have to go back and you have to find it. And uh, so what I do is I try to highlight it, mark it down, and then I go back through every chapter and I kind of type up my own personal notes. That's awesome. I love that. It, it, you know, and that's like a long process. So you really got to be focused in on, you know, sharpening your mind and committing to that process because it's such a valuable thing to do. It is. It, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because – the more I do it, the more I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> but once you're done, it's so useful to reflect back on. And it's very easy to, to go back through and find something that you liked. Um, but at, when I'm typing it up, the, the other issue I run into is that, you know, you're flipping through a page in a book. Um, and uh, I guess it might be a little easier if I was reading electronically or if I had an audio book. Um, but uh you know, like it's like one hand is holding down the book and the other hand is trying to type. And uh, I, I haven't mastered that concept yet. I got to find a book stand or something, but it does take quite a bit of time. But again, the, the reflection aspect of it 
there's it's so easy to go back through and find that nugget that you liked and I also put it into a coaching philosophy book and so you know I always reference what book I got it from and I can always go back through and, and, and see you know down the road if I ever use a concept with a player or a team or if I've, if I'm ever fortunate enough to be a head coach I'll, I'll be able to easily go back through and find those things. That's great. I love that. Now, Coach, I know that you might have touched on the advice Coach Smart gave you um, as far as building relationships, but if you had to hone in on another piece of advice you've gotten in your career, like you know something in that realm, I know you said that was probably the most valuable piece of information you've gotten, but maybe even from Coach Jones, what's the best career advice you've gotten? Oh, man. Um, this is kind of like the book thing where it's like you're choosing your favorite child. I feel I, bad I now for asking because I couldn't even ask. I couldn't even answer these questions. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's it definitely it, it, it uh, invokes deeper thinking, which I like. Um, but it's again, it's like advice or a book uh, by by its nature. The concepts in it could apply or not apply to, you know, there's definitely books that people have said, um, you know, man, I love that book and I read it and I'm like, golly or vice versa you know it's like it's so dry or i can't get past a page or you know a tv show or a piece of advice where it's like that's not really applicable to my life um so uh but I, you know i think f for advice i would probably say um just be present you know be in the moment and uh, the most important job is the one that you that you have uh i think and we kind of touched on it earlier in this conversation we're all victims of, in our industry, it's such a fleeting business where you see these uh, teams on, these blue bloods on national TV, and uh, you see these highly revered coaches that have had all this success, and um, by nature, they're put on a pedestal because that's that's what happens in life when you acquire fame and fortune, you're, you're put on this pedestal, and um, you want to be like them, and you think that that's what basketball is, and I I think we all lose sight of the current jobs that we have. I get this all the time. I have people that call me and say, hey, how did you get to where you're at? And I always tell them, you know, be where your feet are. Uh, bloom where you're planted. You know, the most important thing that you can control is what you can control right now. Um, something I heard from a podcast uh, a few, shoot, probably six or seven months ago from Kevin Eastman was the three most important days on the calendar are yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And uh, I just, I, I can't stress that enough. The things you did yesterday are meaningless. The things that you can do tomorrow are meaningless. They're still very important because they're measures of what you do today. Um, but, you know, the, the fruit that you bear um, is, all, is all created by the, the, the seed that you sowed years ago or days ago, whatever it might be. Um, so if I were to give one piece of advice, that, that's probably what I'd say, and that, that's probably what's been given to me along the road. I, I you know, I, I think you hear it in different forms or fashions as you go throughout your career is, you know, focus on the job you have, or, you know, don't worry about the next job or the next, you know, how you're going to get to where you're going to get to. I think you have to be cognizant of those things, but at some point someone told me that and people retell it to me in different, different ways. And I've kind of, st it's stuck with me uh, throughout my career. Now, Coach, I apologize, but if you had one quote to live by, what would it be? Oh my God! <laughs> I know you dropped the Isaac uh, Newton one, but I know you have—I know you got a bunch of gems there. So, 
it doesn't have to be as literal as live by it, but another another fan favorite that you'd like to uh, give to us. Well, I'll I'll rattle off a few. Um, I don't have I, I have these memorized. Just I'm a big quotes guy, I, and I also like reading the Bible. I like Proverbs. I like uh, going back through uh, and, and just finding lessons in it. I wouldn't say I'm an overly religious person, but I was raised Catholic, and um, so I, I do steal a lot of quotes from the Bible. I do steal a lot of quotes from people. I would say the one thing that I did, and, and Coach Smart started this, I heard this, and I and I uh, kind of took it as my own, and it kind of goes to the Mike Neighbors thing, is I have a quotes file. And I, I don't mind sharing any of this stuff. Uh, basically, I started this as a notes in my phone, I think, and anytime I saw a quote I liked, and it can be about anything, or relevant, irrelevant, the, the name of the person that gave it. Um, I have quotes in there from cooks to carpenters to authors, uh, philosophers, what you name it. Um, so, and it's on every topic, you know, habits, culture, leadership, uh, dreams, uh, toughness, character. Uh, I kind of have it organized. It's about 25 pages long. If anybody wants that, you're more than welcome to. I'm a big quotes guy. I think there's a lot of uh, things that you can find in a quote. I try to find some sort of daily motivation every day, something that can get my day going, whether it's a quote, uh, a Bible verse, you know, a video that I see, uh, just to give me some juice and energy. Uh, if I were to, you know, one that I tweet a lot is begin, at, begin each day as if it were on purpose. That's from a movie. That's from Hitch. Um, I just thought it was a great way to look at life. You know, if you think every day you start is on purpose, then that automatically gives you the foundation that there's purpose to your life and what you encounter that day, there was a reason behind it. Um, or what you achieve that day, there was a reason behind it. Um, I thought that was great. Uh, Coach Smart, he would always say appreciation is the currency of success. He would tell that to our guys. And uh, when he talks about appreciation, he would tell tell our guys, um, you know, like your way of showing appreciation is how you work and the method that you work and how you go about your business and how you operate as a man. Um, and uh, I, I just thought that that hit home for me. That was one of the first quotes that I, I fell in love with. Uh, one that I talked about on that that uh, Zoom webinar that I did was how you do anything is how you do everything. I, I can't preach that enough in your day-to-day -day work. The littlest of tasks, whether, you know, when I was a D3 coach and you're sweeping the floor or ordering the pizzas, uh, everything that you do as an individual, number one, you don't know who's watching. And so you don't know how, what kind of residual impact or effects it might have on your life. Uh, but also it, it, it's a indicator of who you are as a human being. You know, and, and John Wooden talked about it all the time about, you know, he has a quote with uh, just, you know, doing things the right way. And uh, I think just summing it up, it, I, how you do anything is how you do everything is, is perfect. And there's a little bit of a rank to it. Um, I'd probably say, I mean, I can, I can keep going if you want me to, but I'd probably say the last one is, and I don't know where I heard this from, um, but it was very impactful for me. Uh, I, I believe it was a friend of mine, Karan Godwin, and I don't know where he stole it from. I think we're all thieves in a way uh, in our industry, but he said that, uh, I think it was from him, um, and I tweeted quite a bit, is 
there's no elevator to success. You must take the stairs. And when I saw that, it's, you know, it's because we're faced with that almost on a day to day where you go to the elevator, you know, and you're on the second floor, or third floor, or fourth floor, whatever it might be. And uh, in our careers, I think we always want a linear progression. You know, we want it to steadily rise and it doesn't always work like that. It goes up and down, up and down. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, uh, again, 10 years in the process of me trying to be a division one assistant and it finally happened, there was no elevator, you know, and, and I get that's for some people there may be, but for me, there definitely wasn't. I had to take, take the stairs and I had to take each stair. Um, I just can't, I mean, it just, when I heard that quote, I, it was so impactful for me and my development that I was able to reflect back and, and just know it's going to be a process and every day is a step in the right direction, you know, and hopefully at the end of it, um, you get to where you want to and the destination uh, is what it is. And uh, it, the joy is in, is in the journey of things. Man, these are awesome. Every I can't pick which one I like the best, to be honest with you. And I know I, you're a great follow on Twitter, and we'll make sure that we uh, shout your hand a lot at the end. But you're always pumping out motivational quotes, and it's one of my favorite follows. So I appreciate you doing that on a daily basis. No, and I, I appreciate that. Uh, one thing that Ferrello uh, said, and this is partly why I started the, the website and email, was – his philosophy as a coach and as is in his program was share the game. And, uh, I have kind of taken that to every aspect of my life. Um, whether it's posting stuff on social media, posting stuff, uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, sending out text messages. You just never know what people are going through in life. And the feedback that I've gotten has been so impactful for me. I, people, I don't even know. Uh, that come up to me or send me a note or text and just say, Hey, what you post every day, it, it gives me inspiration. I make sure to check uh, your, your Twitter um, to see if you posted something new. It's that's the real enjoyment is the sharing of information, the sharing of knowledge. And if I can ever help start someone's day or help get them through a tough deal, I'm absolutely willing to do it. Now, Coach, through all the trials and tribulations of this coaching journey, we're always faced with different levels of adversity. But what's an obstacle you've had to overcome that, you know, had an impact on you in this coaching business? I think, I don't know if it's necessarily a tangible obstacle, um, but I think the mindset of a person, just human nature um, the, the mindset that we're, you know, the, the kind of, uh, magnifying glass that we all live in and, and how we live in a vacuum of this career industry where, and what I mean by that is there's so much self doubt and, uh, you know, you lose confidence. And uh, I know we've had conversations off air, just, you talk about the grind of your career and the steps that you had to take. And you just, you always wonder because you just never know whether you're ever going to make it right. There's no, uh, compass or map that says, Hey, if you do this, this is what happens. And, uh, I think the things that we all struggle with, particularly me is you lose 
confidence in yourself and you question yourself a lot of times. Um, so I think it's that, that aspect of just life in general. Um, I would say the one thing that helped me out the most with that is my mindset, my mindset and the perception uh, and perspective of that concept. And what I mean by that is how I attack that when it does surface, um, understanding that I'm not perfect. And the key to life is I have to learn from my failures. I'm a sum of failures. I'm built off failures. And then it's not really a failure if you learn and grow from it. It's actually a, a great positive. Um, and I think that the term that people like to use is fail forward. You know, how are you moving forward by going through those failures? And um, like experience, it, it's a it's a it's a tricky thing. You know, it's you can't gain experience without going through it. Um, I, like Julius Caesar says, experience is the teacher of all things. Uh, life itself is an experience, not just in our career. And I think all of us are are they're we're victims of that that mindset of you know self doubt, and that will creep in from from time to time and. Um, I just, I think that's probably something I've had to deal with. Um, you know, I just try to focus on the now, be where my feet are, feet are, uh, pound the rock. You know, that's been a, a huge creed for me is just every day, get up and, uh, just pound the rock. And I'm not sure if people know what that, that creed is, but essentially it's, there's a, there's a, uh, Jacob Reese, he's a, a writer and, uh, he was a social reformer, uh, years ago, but he had this philosophy of the Stonecutter's Creed where the stonecutter hammers away uh, at a rock. And he doesn't know if it's going to be the first blow or the fifth blow that breaks the rock. And uh, you just never know. So you just have to come to, to work every day and pound the rock and pound the stone. And um, again, I, I just, that's what I've tried to, to address it with and, and change my perspective of it. And the other thing too is, and I was told this advice from a friend of mine, Phil Beckner, who is uh, he's an assistant coach uh, for a number of uh, colleges, Boise State, Weber State, Nebraska. Uh, he was assistant coach in the, uh, the G League. Um, and now he's Damian Lillard's workout coach. He said uh, to me a couple of years ago was, your perspective on things is so important. And perspective is a funny thing. It's really hard to see the picture when you're in the frame. And uh, that life advice was was it just, you know, when you have self-doubt, when you have the lack of confidence that, man, is this thing really going to work? Sometimes it's better taking a macro and look and, and taking your, removing yourself from the situation and trying to see it with an unbiased opinion. And, and also realizing and being appreciative of the things that have happened to you in life. Like we talked about the relationships and the places you've been and the success that you've had. Um, I think we lose sight of that sometimes because we're so caught up in the next step or the next piece of success. Uh, shoot, even just now, sorry, I'm, I'm going, I can talk about self-help and leadership. No, I Please, love it, man. I love it. Please. Phil Jackson, I mean, this was like, the quote was unbelievable. And I don't even know if people really took it in, but everyone's watching the last dance and I'm probably, cause it's just off uh, memory, but I, I think he said it was about success and what he was trying to do was he was trying to get the bulls to understand that the championships that they've won in the past 
are irrelevant. They mean nothing to the championship that they're trying to go for that year. And so the, the quote or mantra that they live by was, you're really only a success the moment or the time period that you complete a successful act. And then it's no more. And uh, again, I, I probably didn't quote it right, but I just thought it was so powerful because we lose focus of that, you know, like I went to a sweet 16 as director of basketball operations, but at times I was so focused on, man, when am I going to be an assistant coach? When am I going to get my opportunity? And I just, you know, it was like, I think sometimes we, you know, we, we don't enjoy the process as much as we should. Um, and, uh, you know, it's hopefully at, at, at some point, you know, for me too, cause I'm, my mind's always moving, I'll be able to reflect back. And uh, a big thing I've taken up is journaling and look at my journals and, and just, man, like really appreciate those years that I had to go through those trials and tribulations and I had that self doubt and I had that lack of confidence. Man. So powerful, man. So powerful. And I think we get caught up in, like you said, looking forward that you really have to take a deep breath and enjoy how far you've come because, you know, the journey is incredible when every individual reflects on the things they've been through. And even myself, man, I need to do a better job of appreciating, you know, selfishly the work I've done to, to get where I've gone in my career. Oh man, I, I mean, we could talk, literally, we could talk about this for days because I mean, even this morning I read something in a book that I just finished Fred factor. Uh, it's an unbelievable book, unbelievable book. It's uh, one of those her books that kind of just has a singular concept and it breaks it down in a very easy to di digest uh, thing. And, uh, and one of the concepts was uh, one of the stories rather is describing a concept was um, think about a carpenter and I'll ask you this question just because it's me and you on this, this line, you know, like a carpenter is a pretty humble job. Am I right? Yep. So 2000 years ago, there was a carpenter who lived in the middle East and, and uh, um, didn't make it to 40 years old. Um, but he's the most famous human being in the history of mankind. Hmm. And, do you know who that is? Yep. Jesus Christ. And so it's amazing. You take a guy who he's the son of a carpenter. He learns this trade and it, you know, and, and Mark six, three, they talk about it. Um, you know, uh, is not this the son of Mary, brother of James, uh, Joseph, Judas and Simon, the carpenter. It's they talk about when he was young and, and, and there's references to whether it was a carpenter or a builder or whatever it might be. But that was his career. That was his life, you know, and he took a, a keen interest in religion and philosophy and had this knowledge and obviously had a divine, divine uh, intervention from God. But uh, and again, I'm not overly religious. I just this like this is this was in the book and I just thought it was so powerful. Well, this carpenter ended up finding people that believed in him and his uh, disciples and ended up performing miracle acts, which the everyday person, it doesn't have to be a miracle act. It can be something as simple as how you address somebody or uh, how you interact with somebody, saying thank you, uh, smiling when you see somebody, 
reaching out, saying a nice note or sending a nice uh, message to somebody because you just never know what they're going through. And he developed billions of followers. And so uh, I just thought that was so impactful because it's like you think about it and you just think that the people that achieve the most success that have this following is because of the nature of the title. But really, that's not who we are. It's just what we do. Um, and then just even just regurgitating that story, I was on a, a Zoom call, and I guess that's like the, the new norm is like to do these Zoom interviews and Zoom calls. And, and um, But Rick Croy was telling a, a story about uh, Tiger Woods. And uh, when and he uses it with his team, and, and hopefully people can use this too. When he was number one in the world and dominating, that he only led the PGA Tour in one statistical category. And I'll ask you, do you, do you, I mean, I don't even know if you watch golf, but do you know what category it was? It wasn't driving distance. It wasn't, uh, I don't know, you, name a, you just name a stat. No, I have no clue. Putting percentage. All right. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't uh, strokes gained. It wasn't it was birdies after bogeys. Wow. So after he had a bogey, he led the PGA and following it up with the with the birdie. And so I'm like hearing that, and I'm like that is like unbelievable. Because how many times in life like do we sit there and we, we go through something, and it like it uh, demoralizes us, it paralyzes us, it puts us in this awful state or it doesn't even have to be an event that you go through it can just be someone gets a job and you're not considered or uh you know you have this again the self-doubt that creeps up um or you're you're told i know we talked off off uh air about you know people will they have this kind of preconceived notion in college basketball that you'll only be hired as an assistant coach unless you've been an assistant coach and that can definitely present its own issues. And, and so, you know, it's like you deal with these things. Well, um, how you address, it's the next step that you take uh, is so important. Um, and I thought that was uh, that was so impactful when, when Rick Roy said that. And, and he led the tour in birdies after bogeys. And shoot, if you play golf, you know how hard it is to get a birdie. Let, and I get they're professionals, but also how demoralizing a bogey is. So... Uh, and, th- and I play golf too. So that was also, it, it also hit me in that regard too. Uh, but it, it's, you know, it just was, a, it was a great life lesson. Um, so again, too, I can talk about this stuff forever. Uh, I'm a lifelong learner and, and hopefully people have found some sort of value in this conversation and, uh, you know, can, can use any of this for, for themselves. No coach, you've been great. Now to top it off, I just want to ask you this. I know you've been surrounded by so many great mentors and they've given you advice but if you were mentoring your younger self what's one piece of advice you would give yourself um i would probably say enjoy the journey i know we kind of touched on it before um be where your feet are yep and 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 just never lose sight of the present um, again, uh, we, we, we always focus on the next step, uh, the next job, the next opportunity. And I think a lot of times we lose sight of how much great stuff, relationships, moments that you have at that particular time. I get nostalgic from time to time where, um, 
you know, I look at a championship ring and, and all that stuff is great or uh, hardware that, you know, I've been able to acquire from some of the teams I've been on or whatever it might be. And all that stuff is great. But the thing that's been the most impactful thing for me is the relationships with players or coaches that I know and them saying positive things. And I screenshot the text and I always kind of keep it because I just, I always, it's like, then you kind of yearn to go back to that moment, you know, and just, you wish you could uh, be in the trenches with them and, and uh, whether it's a coach or a player or watch film with them again and, uh, or be on the court and, and building sweat equity. Um, so I, I would say probably just enjoy the journey and uh, the real joy is in the journey. It's not in the destination. Man, so many great gems. And I know our listeners are going to get so much value from this conversation, Coach. Now, if they wanted to reach out to you, um, you're a great follow on social media. Where would they be able to do that? I would say, uh, well, first off, my, my Twitter handle is Chambers Hoops. It's just Chambers Hoops. Uh, my Instagram is Chambers BM. Uh, but, uh, and I don't mind giving out my cell phone number. It's 804-787-4288, 804-787-4288. I told myself when I first started coaching, uh, especially when I was going through the Division Three uh, world and, and, you know, the grind of coaching Division Three basketball that, you know, all the, the, the no's that I got, the letters I sent out that never came back or the text messages or phone calls that never were received or never, uh, never you know, transpired a phone call back that no matter what happens in my life, I'll always be an outlet for people, especially younger guys in the business or anybody really uh, in life, in any walk of life, that if I can ever help them in any way, whether it's a piece of advice or anything, that, that I'd be there for them. So uh, I know we were talking off air that I've, I've given out my number so much. I get so many text messages and phone calls from people that I don't know. And, and um, at some point during the day, I have to turn my phone off. Um, <laughs> And I can, it can take me time just to get back to people, and I feel awful about it. But, um, you know, I have no problem doing that. And, and, uh, and hopefully if, uh, if someone does need help or advice, please feel free to reach out to me. And, uh, and you know, again, if you can follow me on Twitter, not follow me on Twitter, that, that, that's irrelevant. But if there's any information that they find beneficial to them, that's great. Coach, I'm super thankful that you took the time out to talk to me, and I'm so excited to continue to build our relationship. You know, we've known each other for some time now, and guys, I promise you, he means it. He will get back to you because we reconnected recently, and you've been awesome in getting back to me, and, you know, I'm thankful for you coming on and and sharing your journey. So I'm excited to uh, follow your path as you continue to uh, climb the ladder. Oh, man, I appreciate that. And when we first met, I thought you were a, a, a D2, you know, you had the slick back hair, you had the, uh, you know, your your logo was nice and big. And I'm like, man, he's just another one of those guys. But uh, but we've, we've really developed a, a good relationship. And, and obviously, um, like you said, we've reconnected and, and hopefully, you know, we'll continue to go down that path. And again, I, I appreciate you for having me on and I appreciate you for everything that you do. I think you give a, a great perspective on our career and our industry. And uh, again, I can't thank you enough for being an outlet for college basketball coaches or high school JUCO coaches. I appreciate that, Coach. Stay safe during this tough time. All right. I'll see you, Andrew. And that's a wrap for this episode of Coaches and Coffee. 
As always, I'm your host, Andrew Cobian. So thankful for you guys and all the support. It's been great. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Coach Cobian, C-O-B-I-A-N. On Instagram, throw me a follow. My handle is oneandrew3. Reach out to me. Leave some comments on the podcast in the comments section. Uh, Throw us some five-star ratings. It would be greatly appreciated. And uh, looking forward to hearing from you guys.